going through puberty. <laughs> Welcome back. My name is Chris. I'm Andy. And I'm Steve. And this is Streaming Things, Streaming Things. the unofficial podcast of Stranger Things. We appreciate all of your listenership. It's growing quickly, quicker than a whole batch of demigorgons just, just spreading through Hawkins. That's the speed. You guys have molted many times. Yes. We <laughs> become larger. That's some gooey molters, those demigorgons, by the way. Yeah. Uh, we'll get to down to some brass tacks just real quickly. Uh, if you would like to send any feedback, send it to streamingthingspod at gmail.com. Uh, as we approach our last eh, four or five episodes, depending on how many recaps and stuff we do after the season ends, uh, we will need a new show or streaming property to move to. And we would like some suggestions if you enjoy listening to our sultry sounds here on Streaming Things. Streaming Things. Uh, then we need to continue doing that. We need your help deciding what you would like to hear us uh, dive into so please do that and we've still got a little contest going on uh, we've talked about the last couple episodes how we extended it due to our rising listenership so November 7th is the newest and final I promise deadline so all you gotta do is rate and review the podcast take a screenshot of that uh, preferably on iTunes but on whatever app that you found us on we got some Stitcher listeners out there we got some mm. Stitchers we got one Sonos person out there I know and I want to know how Sonos I want to buy one of those yeah I didn't know they had their own broadcasting system there. I didn't either but anywho um, yeah send that a screenshot to streamingthingspod at gmail.com after you send in your feedback and uh, you will be entered automatically to win a hundred dollar Amazon gift card mm. you can spend that anywhere in the Amazon jungle. <laughs> just realized that's what it sounds like. I got a gift card to the Amazon. I could buy a panther. Oh, I need one of them. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> Boy, howdy. I could use a panther to clean up something around the house. <laughs> it costs more than $100. We don't know, do we? Damn it. Get me a little dart frog, maybe. Hmm? If your name's Dustin, you'll probably want to get a dart yeah. frog. Yeah. I've been watching that uh, Planet Earth. I know lots of critters in the Amazon. We could buy. Okay, that Minnesota Amazon <laughs> gift card joke is played out. I will take it too far, so I should just stop right there. Uh, this time, we're going to review Chapter 6, The Spy. Spy. In a world where Will's connection to a shadowy evil grows stronger, but no one quite sure how to stop it. <laughs> I totally <laughs> fucked up the grammar there. Oh, it was going well. <laughs> it's like as if the trailer guy had just slight touch of downs. <laughs> but no one quite sure how to stop it. <laughs> oh, no. That's offensive. The bad guy's coming. <laughs> That's offensive. Elsewhere, Dustin and Steve... Forge an unlikely bond. All right. That's what Netflix has to say about this episode. Now let's get down to the real episode. What we have to say about it. Uh, opens up cold open. Uh, rushing Will to the hospital with some uh, smash cuts that I really enjoyed. Uh, spraying down Hopper. <laughs> I really yeah. enjoyed that one. Uh, you just like to see Hopper getting sprayed down. Uh, always. 
Always a fan of that. Insert shot of the shower head, stuff like that. I just really appreciated the editing there. I was horrified to realize he literally, I mean, I knew he was in great pain, but I think he literally felt the flames upon his skin mm-hmm. for a long time. His insides are burning. That is horrifying. I felt yeah. so bad for that little boy. Uh, there's no joke that I'm going to about it. I was just internally struggling with how bad I felt for Will. Yeah, because getting burnt sucks. Like, I, I've, I've put my hand on an oven before. When it's mm. hot, that doesn't feel good. That's not a party. That's mm. not a vacation. I have had my head aflame before. Jesus. It's a long story. Andy was there. It was he thought pretty. it was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, we were playing with fire and some kerosene, and I had really long hair. And uh, we were stupid kids. It caught my whole head on fire. I had oh third degree burns and stuff. Jesus Christ. And uh, Andy was just laughing. And that was near. <laughs> it was really funny. It was, <laughs> it was probably 10 to 15 seconds. Whereas Will, you know, what, an hour? Yeah, it's insane. I mean, you can't yeah. mentally bounce back from that. And I think Noah Schnapp's performance uh, is stunning. I mean, this little boy is going to win some Emmys. Mm-hmm. Most assuredly. Absolutely. If fucking Barb can get a nomination, I think Noah Schnapp should clear house. It's just my opinion. But who the fuck am I? Justice, justice for Will. Justice for Will <laughs> at the Emmys. Uh, yeah, just that's horrifying. Uh, so then we cut to uh, Steve carries the bat in his trunk, we are to assume. Mm-hmm. Or he went and got it between episodes. What do you guys think? I would like to think that he just carries it around now. Yeah, yeah for sure. Like, this is like his point of pride like it's not even his bat like that was jonathan right. and or nancy paid for that with their money well he earned and, it and he, he did earn it he, he did earn it. it but like like andy said I, I, if he doesn't just drive around carrying that bat i don't want to live in that world <laughs> but that would make the last episode a little silly where dustin's like still got the bat and he's like what bat this bat <laughs> if he carries it in his trunk i feel like he'd been like you know the bat? Fuck yeah. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> Tell me where you need the bat. I'll bring the bat. Um, I always have the bat, Dustin. Yeah, so Dustin uh, leads him to the cellar. And, you know, Steve's kind of hoping that he's pranking him. But you know, I'm going to mm. fucking kill you if this is a prank kid. Puts the flashlight in his face for a long time. And Dustin's like, no, unfortunately, this is a real deal here, bud. Uh, I think he says, how did you know it wasn't a dog or something like that? A lizard. A lizard, yeah. yeah. Because uh, its face opened up and it ate my fucking cat. <laughs> and Steve was just like, oh, well, yeah, that would give That's not a lizard thing, typically. Um, Steve creeps down into the cellar and finds a molted skin. So it's even bigger now and is strong enough to dig its way through concrete and make a massive tunnel up into the uh, the forest that we all know is right by everything, right? Mm. Uh, leading yeah. into Mirkwood. So Steve should be worried. It's got to be right by his house. Absolutely. His parents are in danger. This scene really made me like Steve a lot more. I mean, I already love Steve. Uh, but, I mean, the fact that Steve has a nail bat in his trunk at all times, and he's blasting some Queen. Yeah. Yeah, that's my favorite band of all time. So when he's playing some Queen, I'm like, all right, yeah, Steve. That's why I love <laughs> you. I knew it. I could sense these Steve things. Steve loves Steve. Mm. I wouldn't say that I loved Steve, but I was always, you know, after, I don't know, the penultimate episode of season one, maybe, a fan of Steve. Mm-hmm. But Steve's a badass now. I mean, he's he a was badass. a badass at the finale. But yeah, like just not. It wasn't a one-off. It's just he's a badass, a very brave man. So, uh, I wrote in my notes here, talking, referring to Dart the Demogorgon. Uh, it's weird that it has a name. In Project Mayhem, Demogorgons do have names. Um, <laughs> is this the only one? Was the question I had written down. Clearly, no. We find this out later. It is not the only one. 
and how does it operate? Um, this is a question that I have as far as the the mobile demogorgons, the ones that are smaller and look like dogs. I, when they go to full size, I suppose they are more upright, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we saw from the full grown demogorgon in season one. But that demogorgon resides within the upside down and it attacks by kidnapping them and taking them back to it home dimension, right? Mm-hmm. I just don't understand how these demogorgons who know nothing of the upside down, uh, do they get the power to go forth from from cross dimensions as adults or, you know what I mean? I just don't yeah. understand. It could just be a natural, you know, uh, it's instilled to them instinctually. Like there's mm-hmm. animals in the real world, world that are born in a place, but when they grow up, they know, oh, so we go to this part of the continent to fuck and then go back and lay our eggs where they were born. They ideally wouldn't, you know, they've never been to that place where they have the mating rituals, but they still go there every year, kind of like sea turtles and penguins and all that. You heard it um, here first. Demogorgons. Demogorgons are merely sea turtles. <laughs> March of the Demogorgons. Uh, <laughs> I would watch that. And it's weird that we now know, uh, so the Thessalhydra is like the boss, and the Demogorgons are mere foot soldiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I like that they're broadening the universe, but it also makes, uh, in retrospect, things a little dicey. Mm. We know we know that there was one Demogorgon who seemed to be autonomous, acting alone, if you will. And now they're just all willy nilly. Um, just curious how, how you know what the Duffers have in their mind about how this universe work. Uh, so uh, we cut to the government guys taking Polaroids of Joyce's house. And then Joyce and Scrubs arguing with Paul Reiser and his little pantheon of unnamed, nameless doctors. Yes, men. What is wrong with my boy? My boy. That little scene. <clears throat> Welcome to another thing of Joyce things. What's wrong with my boy? Um, and then we cut straight to Murray partying with JNN. Old uh, Jonathan and Nancy just drinking what I assume is the fifth vodka and tonic. That's just me. I just got at, that at vibe. Least. Got that vibe. Or at least Murray's fifth. They're second because they're kind of sipping. Uh, Jonathan still thinks he might drive. So I think I love Murray. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Very creepy. Very paranoid. <laughs> a tad bit alcoholic. He's just giving, you know, liquor to underage people. <laughs> just like, encouraging them to fuck. Yeah, uh, yeah. And for some reason, hey, don't judge me. I condone all of it. I love this guy. <laughs> I don't know. Took a turn since the last episode. What did you guys think about that? His little, um, I guess this is later, so we'll just leave that. But no, it's not. I think I love Murray, where he tells the, you know, I, I could see Andy in the corner of my eye, and I was only guessing that he was not digging Murray's psychoanalysis of the his, his handle on the children, uh, I don't like calling them children with what happens, uh, you know, the people, mm-hmm. <laughs> Nancy and Jonathan, yeah. you know what I mean? He knew a lot about them. He was able to guess that they're, I, I love that scene where he's like, uh, trust issues. What's his name? What's his name? Steve. Steve. Ah, Steve. Cause <laughs> he knew like there was Steve. a Steve, right? Yeah. And we like Steve, <laughs> but we don't love so Steve. He's got that it all down, down to my, a T. I wrote that down in my notes. Every time Steve did anything cool after that moment, we like Steve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I can picture Andy being like, that's a bunch of horse shit. I like that he's um, has some acumen with reading people, but that's a little too far. Andy, what did you, in fact, think of that? Uh, kind of that. Yeah, it, was, it was a little too on the nose as far as like, I know everything about you. It's such a curse to be able to read people so well. And it's like, eh, you know, I mean, I didn't dislike the scene. I just, 
I feel like this character was acted and directed far differently than it was intended when it was written. Uh, I just, at the end of that scene, when he was like, if you need me again, or if you need to find me again, don't, and slams the door on them, I just had this weird feeling like, I wonder if that's really how they thought this character would go, because he's uncomfortably um, aware of their, you know, the going on, goings on of the kids, which is, you know, I mean, I, I dig that, but I, I don't know how to say this right. He's a little too into, like, let's get these crazy kids drunk and go let them share the bed, you know? Like, <laughs> interestingly, I thought that you would like it less than I did. Really? Yeah. Because I thought it was going to be like this, uh, oh, here we go again with the fucking vodka and seltzer metaphors and, you know. Well, at least he didn't pull the metaphor until the very end. Yeah. And I actually have a note there for that. And you were right about that. But. No, I totally dug Murray in the scene. I liked it. The whole thing I enjoyed very much. And unrealistic, uh, it didn't even enter into my mind how realistic it was or not. I just, I enjoyed it. It was very fun. Steve, what did you think about this whole exchange? I enjoyed it merely because it's something you don't see. I mean, he 100% is creepy. Mm-hmm. If that guy existed in real life, I would avoid him. Avoid him. <laughs> just because he, he he's creepy. But... um. The way he interacts with with uh, Nancy and Jaybird is way different than anyone reacts to kids of that age. Like usually, when adults in movies talk to children, well, children, uh, Nancy and Jaybird's age group about sex and that, it's not like this. Mm-hmm. It's so up front, where it's like, "I know you're doing it. We were all kids once. You all are doing it. Just do it." Usually, it's it's handled much differently. Yeah. And even though he's creepy. He still there's some sort of realness about him mm-hmm. in a weird way, even though he's pontificating on like, I know all these. I know who you are. Let me. How'd I do? Your stepdad yeah. sucks, right? Oh, I read it because you, your face. Um. It's all over your face. <laughs> I get the sense that and I didn't think of any of this at the time. I just had surface level enjoyment of the scene. But thinking about it now, Murray has this life that he spends looking Behind the curtain, behind the curtain, right? And he talked about last time. And so it's trivial things like you know, uh, uh, familial squabbles and taboo sex and what's appropriate for minors and drinking age are beneath him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And whatever that means to you morally is really irrelevant because he's got a bigger concerns. Like, and, and they really are all stupid, not to sound like a creep myself, but once you look at the broad picture that we're all just tiny specks of dust hurtling through space and then <laughs> so vast that we couldn't even comprehend and our life is but a mere blink and in the essence of eternity. And so like a seatbelt law or, you know, paying a fine or your career just couldn't just it's not fathomable how little that matters. And I think that's the scale on which Murray is operating. And I like that because that is sort of my philosophy. I try to keep myself very small in my own mind so that life is you know easier to take and handle. I'm not that important. And I don't know. So maybe I'm looking into Murray too much, but I just feel like he's like, drink the fucking liquor. If you like each other, you should probably just bone because you're going to die like super <laughs> soon. And life's mostly miserable and I'm going to bed. I'm going to jerk off. <laughs> you like, said a joke when he was going upstairs. You said something like "blows blows yeah. on the table, blows in the kitchen." Yeah. <laughs> if you want to really party, what do you think about his end game though? Like 
after all of this months of research, Barb's family fucking like went bankrupt trying to fund this thing. And at the very end, it's like, all right, so let's make a copy of the tape that this girl brought me. We'll write a one paragraph letter, stick it in the envelope and mail it to the Times. Mm-hmm. And that was well, it. They mailed it to uh, multiple different um, newspaper sources. It but, lo- it, yeah. I don't know what I expected, but I thought it would be more than that. You know, I don't, I don't I mean, that's I don't all know. the power that he has. He'll still get credit for blowing a story. He'll get a relaunched career, uh, some notoriety, maybe write a book about it later. You know what I mean? This I is sure. just the first step for Murray in this. He's not even really in it so much. I don't think for notoriety, he's more into it to stick it to the man. Mm. Like he seems more that kind of guy Yeah, who's, who kind of bucks, uh, authority bucks the system. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think this scene is I'm a little I'm a little sad in a way because this scene and you know many others in this season so far it's kind of I don't feel like Charlie Heaton's been bringing his best this season I like, agree I was thinking the same thing last episode and, uh, yeah because last episode I kind of doubted myself about whether or not I was like I talked a lot of shit about how awesome Charlie Heaton is and I don't feel that way at all this season. He's just mm-hmm. mediocre at best. Well, I feel like this could season be the they've cocaine. I was going to say, we, cocaine. as we now know. Yeah. Well, I mean, this season, uh, Charlie Heaton, Jonathan, and even um, what's his name, Finn Wolfhart. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Their roles are significantly scaled back. Oh my sure. god, Mike is going to waste this. Season. I forget Mike's in scene sometimes because you know you got he's just Hopper and Joyce and Sean Astin talking, yeah. and he's like, "Oh, I'm here too." Um, Wolfing hard down here. And last season, Jonathan had this incredible arc of like, he's dealing with this insane mom and he doesn't mm-hmm. know where his brother is. And they focus a lot more on that relationship of him and his mom. And that was a very interesting story to tell. And he did great. This season, his story is like, well, where's Nancy going? I guess I'll drive her. <laughs> sure. And, and I think. Chauffeur. I think that's to good effect, though. At the same time, we've got other characters to explore. You know, this is Stranger Things 2. Mm-hmm. Um and rather than go deep into the rabbit hole of, of baby Holly and Mike and his family, we've gotten to see Lucas's family. Uh, we get to obviously expound upon Eleven, about which we knew almost nothing. I see think this grow. is the first episode she's not in it at all. Ever. You know what you yeah, mean? Like, yeah, I don't think there's think been an right. episode of the show yet where she wasn't in it. Oh, yeah, she wasn't one. at all. No. Chapter 6, Season 2, the first Elevenless episode. Sad. You heard it here first. No. So then... Uh, so, yeah, Murray goes upstairs. They do not choose to look in the kitchen for the blow. And uh, Andy pointed out they got pajamas out of nowhere. Yeah, because they were like, should we stay? Do you want to stay in the well, night? They, well, they I were guess maybe they had packed clothes in the event. Oh, they had they stayed in the hotel. hotel yeah. Okay. Because so, Nancy was wearing the same PJs, but we just didn't Jamie's? see Jaybirds because he was under yeah. covers. But his PJs were pretty, pretty I baller. love that they packed pajamas to infiltrate secret government agencies. <laughs> it gets See, cold at night. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, did you bring the tape recorder? Yeah. Did you get your jammies? Of course. Who did you was Savage? He looked like he, those could have been Batman pajama pants. I'm just, they weren't, but they could have been. <laughs> they should have been for sure. He doesn't, he's not a boxer's guy. That's, that's so sweet. So then, uh, I think it was an Easter egg of uh, the scene of them kind of missing one another in the hallway. Uh, yes. Maybe it, perhaps it, it is. Yes. Okay. Because it's been done a bunch. It, um, I believe the Wedding Crashers did a spoof-ish thing of it where she creeps down the hall and then Owen Wilson peeks his head out mm-hmm. and misses her uh, with Rachel McAdams. So, okay, Steve's got his handle on that. Cool. So then they do meet outside the Nancy's makeshift bedroom and we get a bittersweet kiss because it's wonderful that Jonathan and Nancy have pushed their relationship forward, at least I think, even though she's got some demons and stuff. I, I get it. Mm-hmm. 
but it's also but we like sad Steve. We like Steve. We like Steve. <laughs> Poor Steve's getting the shaft. Yeah. Or rather, okay. no longer giving it to Nancy. Um, which which is weird because last season, Jonathan was in that position. They've, oh yeah. they've completely swapped places. And Murray brought up that good point of like, the they've been through the real shit together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting play of how this time last season we were the complete opposite way. Where it's like, oh, she's with Steve, but we love Jonathan. Mm-hmm. What did you they, think, Andy? They really pulled the rug out from under us on it. I'm sitting there like, oh, don't do it. Oh, oh, oh. Think, you didn't want them to do it? No, I didn't want them to do it. I like Steve. Steve. He's got the hair. This he is where polyamory would spare feelings. You know, we have a nice, real love triangle. <laughs> Come on, Steve. Come on in here. Bring that bat. We're going to get weird. Get the one with the nails. Carol, Tommy H., let's do this thing. I got some Stolies and Seltzer. Let's party. You know what? Hop Joyce, get in here. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Well, that's his mom, bro. Let him let, let the boy watch. <laughs> Love knows no bounds, Steve bro. made it weird. That's a change. Okay, moving on. Uh, Lucas returns the phone call from Dustin. We get a hilarious little exchange with his sister having uh, He-Man make out with one of her Barbies. Uh, the sound effects she was making on point. Yeah, she did very well. I felt like, and He Man was really feeling that in that scene. Uh, he's that the MVP of this episode. Another awesome cut where, like, yeah, great it, smash cut. Yeah, where they go from the uh, Jonathan and uh, Nancy kissing, slamming the door, to the He Man and Barbie close up. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love you, He Man. And the sound design started a half a second before. <laughs> yeah, so it sounded like they were just making ridiculous makeout noises in the room for a second. Uh, it was awesome. Very well done. Uh, and then we cut back to Hawkins laboratory where Hop's still vomiting, but apparently he's been given the green light that he's not dying. That face he makes is so good. That smile from Hop is my note. I just, <laughs> I want to, that is something I demand we give. That is the best thing in the world. Anytime <laughs> someone says something creepy, or there's any sexual innuendo, I want to be able to pop that into the comment thread. <laughs> hmm? Never better. Um, and then they, they invite Hop to go down into the elevator to see the labyrinthine tunnels that the Thessal Hydra has dug underneath Hawkins' laboratory. And I was a huge fan of that elevator shot. That How this, deep the rabbit hole really goes. I think that was also an Easter egg, but I didn't catch it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you caught that one as well? Uh, I, I feel like it is, the but same I, don't, sense. I don't know what it is, but I, yeah. So just the elevator descends and uh, just, I thought some, some wonderful green screen shots there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of cool. It's kind of, well, it's funny that the government has this room where they've sealed off a corner of it so they can burn the portal door mm-hmm. every so often, but it never occurred to them. Like, what if this thing's going down? Yeah. <laughs> Should we dig a little? They no. bust out the jackhammer like, oh shit. Oh <laughs> man, that goes down a while. Shit. Fuck, what have we been doing this past year? Quickly built an elevator shaft though. And they went deep, though, to their in their defense. I mean, it's in the second layer of the crust. I feel like with all that ground dirt missing from beneath Hawkins, it kind of probably would have crumbled into hell. Like, I, I don't understand how the building is still standing. I don't think we're qualified geologists enough to dispute <laughs> the Duffer's the structural integrity guesses, but I see what you're getting at. Like, guys, when was the last time we had the uh, foundation check? Well, I mean, like this? New York subways and stuff. I mean, those are that's fine. Yeah, here's your problem right here, guys. You got a big hole under your foundation. <laughs> I'm going to have to bill you for that. Ah, there's some floaty stuff. This so is not to code. Is. You can't we- put a portal to another dimension and use it as a pillar. It doesn't work that way, bro. <laughs> That'll be uh, fine. 
<laughs> you gotta have a permit for that. Where's cut, Walter Peck when you need him? <laughs> and we cut back to uh, Joyce catching Bob up. Uh, did we get another scene of somebody explaining the entirety of season one to another character and miss it again? Is that the sense you got with Joyce and Bob there? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yeah. yeah, to a lesser extent. She was more telling him about the paperwork side Close of notes. things. But still, I mean, <laughs> but he for that like, to make sense. Will went missing. Yeah, for that to make sense, he would have to have known the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it wasn't as overt as the past sure. thing. Uh, and then I wrote down where do Mike's parents think the kids are, but I think that was solved a little bit later on. They just don't give a shit. I'm just thinking, <laughs> I know Ted doesn't give a fuck, but I bet Karen does. Like, so Mike's at the hospital and has no access to any phones that I know of. Nancy didn't call from Murray's that we saw, and they're both minors, or at least she Nancy called, might she be called 18. From, but... Nancy called from Murray's. She said that she was at Allie's having a girls' night. Uh-huh. The next morning, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah, but I think she had already known that she was at Allie's beforehand. Oh. Because she, uh, there was a shot, I think, last ep- episode of her doing the same thing. Um, and we cut back to Will, who seems to have some sort of uh, increasing amnesia. He doesn't recognize Bob. Um, and then back to Murray's. Uh, breakfast at Murray's, which I think is a uh, <laughs> breakfast shop we should open. A Stranger, themed, Stranger Things-themed restaurant. That would, would just kill it. Just serve nothing but vodka, seltzer, and eggs and hash browns. And the truth. And condoms. <laughs> and the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Leave door closed, spray painted on the front. It'd be awesome. Every time a customer comes up, look up and to the right. Do you have a reservation? (laughs) (laughs) So then uh, we get a a sex joke, I think. Oh, yeah. How was the pullout? Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) Or uh, Jonathan chokes on his juice and Nancy just kind of looks away. I loved it. I did not expect that. Did anyone else get imagery? Oh, yeah. Uh, It was... uh, yeah, that was such an on-the-point sex joke. I yeah. was like, whoa, Stranger Things. I was yeah. not expecting that. Especially, when, like, again, we were talking about this is kind of a maybe un- uncomfortable topic that they're minors, or mm-hmm. at least 18, very young, and yeah. then pull out it's such an explicit Sort of. Joke. I mean, it's so <laughs> innocuous, but we all know, immediately, in most people's heads, you get... Jonathan coming on Nancy's belly. I mean, I'm going to say it. <laughs> or the sheets. Or the sheets. Amateur. That's Never how, go for the sheets. That's how Mary knew. <laughs> he went to clean up in the room. Oh, that's kind of backfired on me. Oh, God, so, God damn it. God damn it. That's why he bullshit. slammed the door on their face. Like, yeah. never come back. Coming on my sheets. <laughs> Never come here again. That's what he meant. Yeah. Uh, Um, And then, yes, as he's slamming the door on what Andy alluded to earlier, I thought those insert shots were completely lame and useless. Hammer down on something that was already lame and useless. The seltzer and vodka. Yeah. You know, they threw in some insert shots of bottle of vodka and bottle of seltzer. Like, you know, they had to take the extra time to put the camera off to the side and film his hand reaching out with the bottle. And light it. Seriously? (laughs) Everyone on set thought that was a great idea. And then in the editing room, like, yep, put them in. Seriously? Oh, they really want to hammer that uh, water it down metaphor. Mm. Yeah, they must be uh, smitten with that. Remember Uh, what we did, guys? Water it down, vodka. (laughs) Remember last episode where we did the thing with the thing? Am I right? Um, Cut to... uh, I don't feel like, uh, before we cut to, Nancy isn't scared enough, I feel like, with this whole plan. Like, they do realize they will be assassinated by the government, right? Am Mm -hmm. I wrong? Well, I think her thought process is is if it comes out and becomes public... She'll be safer? Yeah. 
and they can't do anything to her. Yeah, because it would it would look suspicious if suddenly all these characters of interest in this story just suddenly go missing or die. So they're actually through the dangerous part now, sort of. In a way, yeah. at, at least that's what her thought process mm-hmm. is. That's I mean, true. That's true. Unless it gets intercepted, you know, like which probably what will happen you know like, no i imagine somewhere after the dust settles after the finale yeah that'll the new like every once everybody's friendly and the demogorgons have been killed again that's when the newspapers are going to drop mm-hmm. and that'll be season three yeah is hawkins lab versus nancy justice for nancy um and we cut to billy smoking a cigarette curling some iron who has abs that good who just drinks beer and smokes constantly? At like two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Hey man, at that age, you can get away with that for sure. Okay. I knew guys. That I mean, that's like an attractive that. man. Thank you. <laughs> I feel akin to him for some reason. <laughs> Why is it? Thank I mean, you. I tried to cover it up. <laughs> I mean, you're an attractive guy too, Chris. I mean, if you're fishing there. <laughs> so uh, Lucas shows up to get Maxine. It's like, you want proof? And I wrote down here that he is. Uh, smitten dumb with a hyphen because I know grammar because I created a new word and that's what you do. Thank Uh, you. (laughs) I just think him letting her in to the party to this degree is irresponsible without a party vote. And Mm -hmm. I know it's hard to reach people right now. And also not fair to Max. Uh, As we see later, uh, it's definitely true that he endangers her, endangers her, sorry, to a very high degree. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know, I just think it's just highly irresponsible of Lucas, but not inaccurate for, for his age or what a, any guy really does when they first start to fall for a girl, I suppose. Yeah, it's, uh, she's, he says, I've got proof. Mm-hmm. And she's like, cut to half hour later, she's being eaten alive. Like, okay, I believe you. Right. Like, Fuck. But you could have should have believed me, that. girl. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens. Uh, and now, in retrospect, we got to talk about this now because this is huge. Uh, not none of us were fans of the Dustin and Dart thread plot thread, right? Where he hides that from the rest of the party. There mm-hmm. were zero of us at streaming things were fans of that. It looks like the writers are in retrospect coloring that as Dustin's folly of loving Max. Mm-hmm. That he was keeping the interdimensional being as something to impress Max, which is mm-hmm. not a vibe I got at all no, early on. In fact, wasn't... my biggest bone to pick was that there was no reason or character motivation for him to hide that from his friends. Yeah. Which does help it a bit. I just, they didn't do a great job of letting that out earlier at all. I I could see that he has, he caught the, he caught Dart and was like, Oh man, I'm going to show all my friends and the new girl. And she's going to think I'm cool. But then he shows them and immediately, you know, Mike freaks out and then it breaks out and then they're trying to find it. And then he hides Dart again, but not because he wants to impress Max, but because at that point he's, He's got a new pet. He wants to protect it. But right. In no way did I figure out that he kept Matt, or, uh, Dart a secret, the set, the latter half of that thread, because of Max. It was yeah. just he already formed a relationship with, with Dart. And that would have helped that action become more believable. Uh, they just didn't did a poor job of setting that up for sure. Uh, and then, so Max hops on the bike on Lucas's bike. She successfully hides him from her stepbrother. Uh, we'll talk about that later. And she gets on the bike, much like Eleven did on Mike's bike frequently in season one. Nice little girl on bike throwback there. Uh, and then Will's amnesia is growing, and his connection to the Thessal Hydra is growing stronger. And by the way, for new listeners, the reason we call it the Thessal Hydra is because that was the 
pretend Dungeons and Dragons enemy at the end of season one. And we were really hoping they were calling this monster the Thessal Hydra in this season. I've think. lost hope. It is not going to happen. I think they still might. No. Dustin still doesn't know about it. Again, that's what my last hope is. <laughs> yeah. Dustin's always the one that does that. Yeah. Um, Maybe Max will be the one that gives it the new name. She wouldn't know the Thessal Hydra. She's like thumbing through a, a D&D manual guide. Like, hey, what about Thessal Hydra? That sounds cool. It's just a dig dug. She's just trying reference. to fit in. Let's call it dig dog. You're out of the party. Uh, <laughs> what we call it? Road warrior. Dig dog's fighting Will again. Stop it. That's not what it's called. It's a dumb name. <laughs> Stranger Things 3, the Thunderdome. Uh, we cut to Paul Reiser exposition, which I found extremely unnecessary with some unnecessary editing about... Uh, explaining what was going on with Will. And I thought they did a great job of organically showing us that Will was like psychosomatically connected to the shadow monster Mm -hmm. and that he was having, you know, all these things were going on. And then Paul Reiser has to explain it point blank to Joyce. And we get these cuts of past things that had happened to Will just to like make sure the audience is caught up and what's going on. I found it completely unnecessary and distracting. What did you guys? It reminded me of the episode last season when, um, uh, was it uh, Becky that was talking to Hopper and it kept flashing back yeah. to 11? Like, this is 11, get it? She's psychic? Yeah. What? But in this case, it was like, he's connected to the Thessal Hydra, get it? Right. Very much so. Thought that too. It, I mean, the only good part about that was Joyce's uh, reaction. Like, so what are we going to do about it? You know, right. I'm getting really upset. Um, so, yeah, Will is deteriorating quickly. And we get some shots of his uh, brain later. Uh, I'll just skip over that and talk about that now. Uh, so his hippocampus was it was attacked first, which controls memory because I took some brain courses in college. Uh, and then his limbic system, which talk, you know his pancreas and all the hormones that it secretes, which basically makes you your mood what it is. So now the monster's controlling his dopamine and stuff. And then the thir- third slide was just like most of his brain. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, yeah, then we get the note that I took. Dustin kept the dart for Max. Uh, but he does get, Dustin does get uh, girl advice from Steve, which is fair. Most of the time, I'm like, what the fuck do you know about women? Women are all different. This is, you know, 2017 feminism. You do, everybody treat each person like an individual human being. But I feel like Steve does have some solid advice for Dustin. Not what he actually says, but just the fact that he is Steve. That I feel like mm-hmm. he does know a thing or two about high school chicks and Hawkins, you know? Sure. So I really love that uh, I kinda- exchange. I felt like this was kind of a doomed, tragic conversation. Not, oh, not for sure. Doomed, she's she's but, way more into Lucas. Well, yeah, she's 100% way more into Lucas. But even Steve giving him that advice of like, oh, just act like you don't care. That's true. And Nancy's elf getting railed yeah, at that like, very moment. Like literally <laughs> Dustin, whose odds aren't in his favor with mm-hmm. Max, is getting advice from Steve, who's not <laughs> succeeding on his own love he made front. it so sad, too. But Nancy's different. She's a special girl. And even himself... Even in his uh, advice that he was giving to Dustin, it, he made it obvious that he doesn't know what he's talking about because he's just like, you got to ignore him. And Dustin's like, oh, what kind of girl is Nancy? Oh, she's different. She's not like most girls. I'm just telling you how to get sluts. <laughs> <laughs> Fair faucet hair. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, he gives him his uh, Fabergé, his Fabergé. shampoo line. And then the Fair faucet spray, which is apparently is something that he's ashamed of. You fucking tell anybody that and you're dead. You do the shampoo and the conditioner when it's moist, not when it's wet. It's very serious. You know, Four sprays of Farrah Fawcett. Which I thought also was some fan service because there's been a lot of comments about Steve's hair. Yeah. But it was fan service that was subtle and I enjoyed. And the best fan service is what also characterizes. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was great 
because he's sharing things with Dustin, whom he barely knows, but has a fondness for because of their shared uh, troubles. The real shit. The real shit, as Murray recalls it. And so he, something very sensitive to him that could potentially damage his reputation or his ego quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And he's offering that to help someone. So it shows us the kindness that is in Steve's heart. And, you know, I just really enjoyed the scene for, for that reason. I'll just, I'll just go up and say that. So. Uh, and they're dropping some, we should say plot wise, that they're dropping raw meat on the train tracks to lead what they think is one Demogorgon to the junkyard. And I thought that that ominous uh, shot of the yellow flag by the dead tree was pretty nice there at the end of that mm-hmm. sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it Andy? You were mentioning earlier in an earlier episode about uh, what what purpose the yellow yeah. flags would serve. This was was this the payoff for that? <laughs> I suppose. I mean, they still haven't served any practical purpose as far as like narrative. Cool. Like there was no reason yet to. But yeah, I mean, it's like oh shit, there's dead trees around, guys. That means something. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not entirely sure what something that Things is. Things are starting but. to look spoopy. <laughs> Looking pretty spoopy. Spoopy? Never heard spoopy? No. I've never heard spoopy. spoopy. Okay. I hang out with young people too much. Hey, man. He's like old, old Murray. Murray. Streaming things old Murray Bauman over here. Yeah. Uh, and then we I, cut to Hop on the CB radio who thinks... He's talking to Eleven, and it is heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, he t- makes a wonderful apology, the apology that I was waiting for. He did it much better than I did in the last episode of Streaming Things, <laughs> and yet no one was listening, and it is tragic, uh, which makes her absence from the episode itself all the more glaring, I think, because that's all we get is the empty room where Eleven should be. And then we cut back to another board meeting of Nameless Doctors and Dr. Sam Owens, played by Paul Reiser, and... I keep referring to his character as Paul Reiser, and I normally don't do that, and I love it. That's Paul Reiser. Who it's we Paul all, Reiser. Who are we all kidding? That's who that is. Uh, and we got this moment that I did not expect where I think we're supposed to get the vibe that Sam Owens cares. that He's, he's trying to protect mm-hmm. Will, and he has some sort of sentimentality and human uh, qualities that... I felt like they were setting him up to be pretty sinister up to this point. Yeah, it was super unexpected. He's... Um, I what, really what if the it. kid dies? Then the kid dies, Sam. And he's like, "Say that to me again." It's fucking insane. That was that was so unexpected. Oh, I I, I totally agree about Doctor Owens. I think in this moment, if this is indeed where they're going, where he actually is a good character that has the town's best interest at heart, or at least uh, Will and family and friends' best interest at heart. Um, I think it just proves just how brilliant of casting Paul Reiser in that role was because mm. we've been talking this whole time like it's Paul Reiser he's gonna be like that guy in uh, Aliens right it's it's Paul Reiser gonna turn on him but nope and I think it's brilliant writing too because in an earlier episode uh, when he was confronting and, and very threatening to Jonathan and Nancy I kind of identified with Doctor Owens in that moment like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is something beyond your scope, and as unfortunate as it is for Barb's parents, uh, I hate to be a Hillary Clinton here, but I mean, (laughs) there is a bigger picture. And even though we know now that the Russians is not what to be worried about, well, okay, okay. (laughs) unfortunately, (laughs) they're back again. Wow, there's a lot of parallels between this story and our world. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Never mind on that one, but you saw where I was going there. I, I just had this sense like, damn, I kind of feel guilty that I don't fucking hate Dr. Owens right now. And hey, turns out I wasn't supposed to. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, Maybe they're going to like do a double turn on us and like 
make us feel like that we should start to be like, oh, wait, no, we should actually kind of like this guy, huh? And then he's going to have like this conflicted moment where he's going to be like, okay, fine, sacrifice the boy. And then it doesn't work. (laughs) And then everybody blames him because whatever he did didn't work and it made everything worse. Or it's like a Shakespearean tragedy where he gets arrested or something because of what Nancy has done after we do really super like him. Oh, no. I don't know. Or bullshit. (laughs) <laughs> That's the title of the article in the New York Times. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. bullshit. At, in Indiana. Uh, and then cut to Will has a plan. And I wrote in the little notes here, unreliable question mark. It turns out very unreliable. Yeah. Uh, the promise that Mike made, we will not let him spy back on the spies, spires. Is, well, he was wrong. Well, That's yeah, totally he what happened. Have, he couldn't keep that promise even if he wanted to. Nope. I do have to say that that reveal of what happened. Epic. I I surprisingly didn't see it coming despite the episode being called The Spy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't sure. know how that one like flew over my head. I'm like, oh no. They distract you. They're like, oh, look over here. You, you remember this nail bat? You look at Steven Dustin. It's great. <laughs> oh, this is how Steve does his hair. Pull out joke. Nancy's fucking. <laughs> Boom. Not the boom in the bedroom. This boom was over here, but you couldn't see it on the audio. Get it, Jaybird. <laughs> we cut back to the junkyard. We all got a lot of good memories of the junkyard and the bus. Uh, I, why did I write dis Steve? Oh, uh, I thought it was, I took it like Ibana. It's like dis Steve. <laughs> but I meant like dis. I should have spelled it with two S's. Uh, they, they, yeah, Lucas knocks Steve. Or Yeah, it's Lucas, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why are you with Steve Harrington of all people? Yeah, oh, no, it's Dustin. Him. He said, it "Dustin says, what, you can't get a hold of anybody." He's yeah. like, "Why else do you think I'm with Steve yeah. Harrington?" That's yeah. what it was. And I was like, I was kind of like, "Hey, <laughs> Steve's you like cool. Steve. He just told you how to do his hair. Yeah, I mean, come dude. on, he's got he a was, nail bat, bra. He could have easily not helped you with any of this and not worried about it." So yeah, don't fuck with Steve. Why are you with Maxine, Lucas? And then he interrupts their little handshake moment, which was an allusion to season one, mm-hmm. to be like, hey, guys, we got 40 minutes of daylight. And the only one helping me is this random girl, <laughs> <laughs> which was pretty funny. I actually saw a meme on the internet about how uh, that's not how random was used in the 80s. Uh, and they were being tongue in cheek, like leave Stranger Things alone and stop finding the petty anachronism, the show's genius. Uh, so it was a very layered meme that I very much enjoyed. It how was, was random used in the 80s? Well, random actually means, uh, fuck, I sound like an idiot now. <laughs> it, it doesn't mean like unexpected. Random means like everything has an equal opportunity equal of being chosen. Yeah. So oh. random girl is inappropriate because that would actually mean this girl has, every girl in the world has an equal opportunity of being here, you know, as much chance as any other. What it really means, like... So if you say, like, you have a random chance at winning, that makes more sense? Yes. Like, so, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to randomly select a winner that screenshots and rates their ratings a review of us and sends it to streamingthingspod at gmail.com. That will be random. Uh, but I can't just say, next time I see a person, like, oh, there's a random winner. You know what, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's yeah. The way we sense. use it, we started yeah. using it as children in the, like, late 90s, early aughts. You okay. ran into someone you haven't seen in a couple years. Oh, my God, that was so random. Uh, yeah. You yeah. Know, you don't use it that way. Like, we went bowling last night. We were just going to sit home and we just went bowling. It was so fucking random. Just random bowling. It's like, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's, we started using the word in a way that it doesn't mean. Okay. Like, 20 years ago. I learned something today. Oh, mm. there you go. <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, di- I digress. Do you know what digress means? It's weird. <laughs> well, tell me. It's so random. What it means, uh, <laughs> cut to uh, Hopper in the boardroom with a wonderful moment uh, where the, you know he's just kind of stepped, one of the asshole doctors that was wants to kill Will, uh, which is a Tarantino movie I love. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hopper's like, shut up, jackass. Uh, yeah, I love and that he's moment. scary no matter where. That's what I mean. Like he's just looms. I love the way he he says it too because he's like, "Oh, hey, jackass, why don't you shut up for us, please? Thanks." Yeah, and there's the implicit like, "I will shut your whore mouth for you," <laughs> and the doctor <laughs> knows it and he shuts up. You know, the Hopper just has that way, and I love it. That's a shitty little doctor too. He reminds me. I think this is why I love Hopper so much. I know I psychoanalyze myself a lot on the show, and that's what you get here at Streaming Things. We offer ourselves to you. Literally, email streaming things pod at gmail.com. Take us. I think Hopper reminds me of my daddy. Because really? my daddy was like that. He was very silly, uh, had a lot of demons, and was a scary man at times. And uh, yeah, Hopper, David Harbour, you're my dad. <laughs> Papa? 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 <laughs> Just tweet that at David Harbour constantly I'm now. I'm going to. Papa? I'm going to. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and then we uh, journey toward Crayon Quadrant 4. Which is what I wrote down. Because <laughs> I love how Will just runs over, and we now know that he was possessed by the shadow monster. Points at one of his shitty-ass drawings of, like, three colors mixed together. Here, this is important, but I don't know why. And everyone's like, okay. Oh, fuck. Instead of being <laughs> we'll like, check it out. where the fuck is that? <laughs> I thought we were going to get a scene where Bob Newby was like, um, that's uh, three miles east of Lover's Lake. I thought we were going to get a scene... Where Bob Newby or Joyce go, um, that's where Hopper was. You saw that. Right. <laughs> so you recognized the little crayon drawing that before they went to the graveyard there? Not beforehand, but like towards the end when they're when they are gear gearing up to go. Yeah. Uh when they get to the actual space where Will has sent them to, Hopper makes a comment like, Oh, that's the bone. That's sure. where I was. And then you were thinking in retrospect they should have known that that was that piece of paper. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and so they suit up and journey toward what they think is a solution to the shadow monster problem. And then we cut back to um, the boys at the bus and with Max and they are setting up traps, much like Jonathan and Nancy in uh, the buyer's household. I thought that was a throwback yeah. to that. Uh, only this time it doesn't end as well. No bear traps. And this is all intercut. So just <laughs> stay with me. So it's uh, the Hawkins laboratory suiting up mixed with setting up the traps and that whole scene there. It's uh, a cool little montage. And Jonathan and Nancy seeing the drawings. Right. <laughs> Cut back to the David Nedry character. That's who, like, what they all that's say. That's his name, right? The guy from Jurassic Park. Dennis. Dennis. Is it fucking D- Dennis? Dennis Nedry. Damn it. Now I sound like a douche. Nah. Edit point. No. That's okay. Uh, I called Adam Sorkin. Aaron Aaron Sorkin, I called Adam Sorkin. That's his brother you were just talking about. You're actually yeah, you know, totes. So, uh, the, yeah, the Dennis Nedry guy is still employed at Hawkins. I guess they have to kill him if they let him go. Uh, and there was like a little wizard reference, like either this boy's schiz- a schizo or a wizard, which kind of was like a Will the Wise throwback, I felt like. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I didn't catch that. Uh, and then it turns out he's not either of those things. He's the spy. Back to the bus, uh, we find the gang all trapped in there. So Steve goes outside and everything's going well. We get some incredible bravery on behalf of Steve because they spot the Demogorgon. Uh, well, I don't want to skip skipping... past that scene with Lucas and Max, though. Yeah, right? yeah I was going to say you're skipping that. That's the kind of scene that Steve loves. Mm-hmm. How'd you feel about that uh, random over sentimentality? I, I liked it just because, you know, we finally get to 
see the mystery of Max and Billy's relationship. It's kind of anticlimactic. Super like, oh, underwhelming. Very, I wrote underwhelming. Max As, is so dot 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 underwhelming. She's it's not my sister. Brother. Yeah. Like oh come on. Like but I but the explanation. I kind of I've been thinking about it since it played out and I it it even though it's underwhelming I like it a little bit better that it's just they're. They moved away. I think they played Billy's angst too hard. Yes. I don't know. He's still crazy. She said that he was a dick beforehand. Sure. Beforehand. But now I understand why he blames her for their for their having to leave. And he can't take his frustration down on the mom, so he takes it down on her. And if you're a psychopath who's like super angry already and you have a little sister... Yeah, he's gonna act crazy like that. Wait, why does he blame her though? Because it's her, it's her dad, that is the reason why they moved. Oh. Yeah, she was saying how her dad still lives in California, and her mom and her stepdad, uh, Billy's father, um, apparently wanted to leave California altogether to get away from Max's dad for a fresh start. And Maxine said something along the lines of like, "He's not the problem, though. Mm-hmm. They're just." Uh, you know, fooling themselves to think that leaving him is going to solve their problems, whatever their problems are. But isn't that kind of her dad's fault, not hers? You know, I don't know. Well, just, we don't know. We don't know about like the dad. Idiot. But it may, it makes me sympathize with Billy a little bit because if you're living in California and you love where you are, your friends are there, you're young, and that's all you know. And then you're forced to leave and go to Podunk Hawkins, Indiana, um, because this woman that you is not your mother that you probably have some angst towards and her stupid little sister and from his perspective makes mm-hmm. you moves you're gonna be like super angry about it um maybe not to the extent of where he's trying to hit f- three kids on bicycles uh, in his car no for but, sure i it, yeah i don't think it's a problem that the duffers i don't i think andy seems to think it was lame writing but i just more feel like an idiot that i read into this like Oh, she's got to be superhero number nine, and he's probably like this robot agent from the planet Delor, and like that's my <laughs> guess. That's a season three reveal. No, they're just step siblings. <laughs> Turns I, out, I just I like I like you said before. I feel like they played up the conflict between them a little too much for it to just have been stepbrother stepsister. There's no reason to withhold that information from us until episode fucking six. But in a way, that's like. True. It is it is underwhelming, but the fact that they like held it that far, and then she she gives us just enough nuggets to think, oh, well, that's underwhelming. But then they don't tell you any more about her dad, uh, her dad's relationship with her stepfather and mother, like why that went awry. And, and they're poor. And so, in a way, because they've built this frame of context around the relationship that's still kind of vague. I'm a little bit more interested, like, well, now I'm interested in the whole family. Like, what is this dynamic? And I look forward to the scenes. Maybe they're going to humanize Billy a little bit more. We're going to have more new characters come in that we have to skip more scenes where they explain everything that happened in season <laughs> one. God damn it. And I think Billy, yeah, probably will come into the fold a bit more. Um, and, but what it served to do because they waited so long was it made a semi-powerful moment where she allowed Lucas into her life after she found out that he had, in truth let her into his because this is the first time that it was verified. You know, they spotted this monster now and all the shit's going on. It's like, okay, he didn't lie to me. He actually let me in. So I'm going to let him into me, mine a little bit, not into me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like Andy, I was not sold on the moment. Um, that performance was lost on me and I think it was probably good. I was just kind of annoyed. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so Lucas and Max have a moment. Uh, poor Dustin's down in the bus with Steve. Uh, none the wiser. 
And which, by the way, wasn't that realistic. I felt like if I was a kid their age, I would have been Dustin, like peeking up, like super jealous, like spotty thing, like every two seconds. <laughs> Handshake. <laughs> what are you guys doing? You want me to take the binoculars for a while? Take the max for, take the binoculars for a while. But Dustin been, doesn't care. That'd have been me, right? He was playing the doesn't care card with that little wink from Steve. Yeah. <laughs> nice job. What? I'm like, you don't care. I don't care. Okay. Why are you winking, Steve? <laughs> Pick um, it up when you're throwing down. So, yeah, it was not a bear. It is a demogorgon. I left it. She's like, you sure it wasn't a bear? <laughs> uh, so then they spot the demogorgon. Back to real life. And uh, it's not being lured by the meat because Steve doused it in gasoline. Was that the only one that that's how animals mm. smell things? That's how they know where food is. But any hoozle, he goes out there to lure it because he's like, because it's tired of eating cow and wants some fucking Steve meat. And I got some Steve meat for it. We like Steve. Big swinging. I thought you were going to say we like Steve meat. <laughs> <laughs> we like that. We love Steve meat. <laughs> Do you feel like it was kind of a rush to get out there? You know what I mean? It's like. The Demogorgon showed up and he's like, check his watch. All right, one, two. Okay, it's not taking the bait. I, I got to be the hero, guys. Let's do this thing. I mean, Does my hair been, look good? They've been right, waiting there for thing. hours. I get it. He wants to go home. Dude, he's going to miss the game. Nobody was <laughs> bleeding and therefore, the well, and the Demogorgons could sense them. So they can see, they can hear, they can, uh, what's the, going on? It's not just smelling. That's right. There was no blood there, but the meat was mm. bloody. That made sense. But yeah, yeah it didn't but like come when until the, Steve. They're chasing him like and he's rolling over cars like an 80s action hero, Easter egg and then like runs and hides in the bus. <laughs> and they're like, oh, we're going to get you. That's true. A little bit of a flaw there. I'm not sure how the baby Demogorgons operate, though. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it smelled the fair faucet hairspray. So, yeah. Oh, my God. I love her. Oh, that <laughs> could have been the he's like, is that Fabergé? <laughs> Fabergé. <laughs> we find out that there are many, many baby Demogorgons. That's a good point, though, Andy. I didn't think of that. The tension was high during that scene. It had my blood a-pumping. Uh, mm. I knew nothing was going to happen to Steve, or at least I had the strong sense there was not, except for there was a moment where I was like, oh, fuck. Killing Steve? Mm. Um, but yeah, so Lucas is like, I felt inappropriate about his clue. Three o'clock. I'm like, dude, just say there's a bunch of them. You're right. like, well, bro, not helping a whole lot. First thing he says is, Steve, look out. Right. <laughs> no shit, dude. I see it. It's in front right. of me. Like anybody would have done that. I got it. I'm on it. I'm ready. I loved. I don't know much about baseball, but Andy loves the sport. Did it you did. notice where he was digging his left foot into the dirt there? Kind of oh, like swiveling he? his ankle. Oh, yeah, he was. That? Yeah, that's what, that. foot. that's what yeah. you do, right? Yeah, absolutely. I thought there was a sweet little baseball moment there. Uh, even I know that this foot diggy thing is something Steve you do. Steve balls, I dig it. For sure. <laughs> Swing away, Meryl. Steve, Steve, Steve balls, I dig it. After we love Steve meat guy. Wow. Steve things. Didn't we say we love Steve? <laughs> um yeah, so Steve does some uh, 80s action Harry. Hair, hair, <laughs> action <fuck>. Harry. <laughs> well, he, he does have that hair. <laughs> action Harry. So Steve I, I does. I believe some, that is exactly what he does. <laughs> so Steve does some 80s action hero badassery. Dives. I, I thought he would, you know, I don't know how he would get out of this. There's like, what, eight of them? They're all very uh, feline and, 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 and very quick. And he dives over a car hood, smacks one of them, and then runs into the bus. To endanger the children like a man should. <laughs> and Steve is a man, hairspray or no. Well, they have fortified the bus. A, a wee bit. A wee bit. They didn't block the hole. 
Yeah, that's that's the one on the flaw. top of the seven foot bus. I didn't understand why they needed to have a sniper nest on top of the uh, yeah the bus. Period. He didn't even have his fucking slingshot out. Just yeah. useless up there trying to bang Max. But so there's a bunch of Demogorgons. I don't know why they left. None of us know why they were called back. Oh, we do know they were called back to kill the soldiers by the shadow monster. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that saved Steve and them's life. Uh, Silly move of vengeance, uh, Thessalhydra, because that gang that you left alive is going to be the ones that does you in, right? Are we right? Oh, yeah. Probably. Just to kill the soldiers who are never going to do shit. Those guys had like, what, one one to three speaking lines collectively? They were named Doctor and Soldier. There was literally a guy named Doctor Two on this episode. (laughs) Nice. Back to Max's uh, moment. Uh, I did like something about it, even though it was kind of corny and uh, random, as you say, in the aughts. I did think it was this cool little speech about how we turn into our oppressors. And she was saying she didn't want to be her brother. You know, she didn't want to be to Lucas how her brother is to her. Uh, And I think that so often happens in real life that it was a good little moment to touch on. I know that children watch this show and I just think it was uh, maybe I I made it more than they meant it. But I thought it was a wonderful moment uh, about how to not turn into bullies, even though you are bullied. Uh, Cause that's so common in real life where, you know, your dad beats on you or people at school are mean to you. So you're mean to smaller things. And it just, the cycle goes on and on. And mm-hmm. Max was like self-aware of that. Like, I know I'm a bitch, but I don't want to be what Billy is to me, to you. And I don't mean to be that way. I'm sorry. Just please be patient with me. And I thought that was cool. I did like that. Yeah. Uh, so we cut back to the tunnel and the uh, Ridley Scott suits. And there was there like a sound design of sinister laughter that you guys caught as they're entering the graveyard the hopper calls the graveyard. I didn't pick up on it if there was. I swear when they walked in, we had that like 80s synth and then there was like a. Did you guys feel like they just like halfway through this season, like at this episode, hired a completely different composer? It was like Nine Inch Nails this episode. It was was bizarre. (laughs) No, but I loved it. It like was going from like the drum beat shit from Birdman to fucking Nine Inch Nails when they're like setting up all the traps and stuff in the junkyard. And I was like, fuck yeah. I'm just like. I really, really love the the soundtrack on this episode. That Birdman song is actually a song. Um, It's not a original composition and that again was made sense they were playing the jazz because murray listens Mm -hmm. to jazz as he drinks his vodka which is why that whole vibe in his house was different than the rest of the show but yeah the the techno synthesized song that played during this last part did have a lot more like of uh, a trent reznor grunge to it that Mm -hmm. some of their other original comps haven't had so far i didn't notice a difference per se but i noticed that i especially liked the score in this episode Mm. i will say that um, so yeah, as the, uh, so, so it turns out it was a trap for the, uh, Ridley Scott soldiers. They shouldn't and have done that. They shouldn't have done that. It was just a boy. And all the baby Demogorgons have coalesced onto this point on the crayon map and they kill them all. I fucking loved this scene. Uh, classic horror show, nothing. It's just dense fog and you can just see flashlights winking out. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was very well done. It was super badass. Would you, you guys agree? Why did those Demogorgons eat all those flashlights, bro? I don't know. They couldn't just fall <laughs> now over. Now the guys are going to get lost the in there. I know. Let me wings. Let me wings. Uh, I don't know why <laughs> that came to mind. Let me wings. Let me wings. Joe King. Was that a full-grown Demogorgon climbing up the lab at the end uh, there? Yeah. 
It looked like a full-grown Demogorgon. Oh, climbing a full-grown one? I don't know if it's full-grown, but it... He's climbing up the wall towards Hawkins' lab that was right below Paul Reiser's face, right? A teenager Demogorgon. Yeah, it was like a late teens Demogorgon. Like a, like a Jonathan-age Demogorgon, we'll yeah. say. It was taking photos right before it <laughs> Which can up. do some damage. Uh, I think that's all we got uh, for the overall recap, right, Red Boys? Yeah. Am I right, boys? <laughs> yeah. And I want to apologize to our listeners if you heard some coughing that Steve cannot edit out. I have a some kind of lung disease that I think is probably common for the season, and it will pass soon. So, You're trapped in the upside-down tunnels for a while, so you got sprayed a little bit with the, the, yes. the upside-down dander. I will pass out soon. I have laid cigarette breadcrumb trails. Uh, I said breadcrumb, <laughs> so that's unfortunate. <laughs> I just wanted to make a quick apology about the uh, audio Bread quality. <laughs> Oftentimes, if I'm talking weird, I'm trying very hard not to cough. Andy, quickly moving on, we've got another segment to bring it on home with, right? Bring it on home. Yeah. Uh, we got bring it down. With which to bring it on home. <laughs> Uh, we got our chocolate pudding, wherein we pick our top three favorite scenes, sequences, or moments of the episode. Go round in a circle, talk about what we like best. Chris, what was your number three? Oh, shocker. I never start. I didn't even number mine yet. I think my number three <laughs> was um, Will Burning uh, and the Cold Open. I just like I was absolutely horrified at that little boy experiencing that amount of pain. And I felt that because of Noah Schnapp's performance and the smash cut editing. And it was very effective. And I knew that they put a lot into that little moment there. Um, something they hadn't thought about before. So I was profoundly affected. And for that reason, I give my number three to the cold open, Will Burning. I love the cold open, just black and like screaming noises. It was a little undone by the fact that we were watching it with subtitles. So it was like a black <laughs> screen with all this crazy sounds. And you see at the bottom in white, Will. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Indistinct chatter. <laughs> Uh, let's see. My number three would have to be um, Dart arrives and Steve goes out. Uh, as, as much as I was ripping on him before when he uh, decided to have his uh, Hollywood 80s action hero moment, I was sitting there like, I love Steve so fucking much. Get it, dude. Because I just loved how willing he was to, you know, it's take on the mantle of the hero having been there before because the fact is that he's the only semi-adult there he's there with a bunch of kids mm -hmm. he's like okay if there is someone on whose shoulders this weight needs to rest it is mine and here i go and he's and, the only athletic type aside yeah. from hopper so and max she skateboards i mean that's now something. we have max but we didn't right yeah, he doesn't yeah. know her that well yet true true she and is still Duffers, random I feel like the Duffers made sure we felt a certain way about that scene when Max is like, he's insane. And Dustin's mm -hmm. like, he's awesome. Yeah, yeah, he is. <laughs> we love Steve. What about you, Steve? My number three is the scene that you guys apparently hated. I uh, The reveal with Max and Lucas. I I, I liked the the swerve they kind of did of having a uh, more down-to-earth reason for why for what Billy and uh, Max's relationship truly is. Um, but more importantly, I really like that scene because it's the first time we've gotten to see... Who's the actress that plays Max? Do We, we, uh, we don't know her name. Sadie something? Perhaps. Hawkins? Not Sadie Hawkins. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Sa Sadie Sachs? It's, it's her something name, like that, Her yeah. name has like alliteration to it. But um, it's the first scene we've really gotten where she we got to really see her acting chops other than reaction, reacting to other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was a very one-note character up to this point, I feel like. Yeah, and because all, all the scenes she's had so far, she's reacting to the boys or she's reacting mm -hmm. to Billy. Um, and this is the first time where she's kind of 
in charge of the scene. And I thought she did a really good job. It was subtle, but believable. And it's just nice to see Luke is getting some loving. Luke, oh, Lucas oh. deserves some. And then they sure. hold hands when they get attacked. Oh, yeah. yeah. Did we get to see Dustin? Did he notice that hand holding? I couldn't tell. Yeah. Oh, poor Dustin. Uh, my number two is Hop's apology to Eleven, who is not listening. Uh, this broke my heart, shattered it into 11 pieces, and will never be whole again. Uh, because this is huge for Hop. He's got a, a gigantic wall between him and normal emotions because he's been hurt so badly before and he allowed himself to be vulnerable um and he's in this situation where he is almost died should have died he's still physically ill his world is reeling he realizes the whole town in danger and he as the sheriff has to care about thousands of people and find a solution to save all of their lives and all he can think about primarily is that 11 is home in the cabin he thinks and doesn't know why he hasn't come home yet or rather thinks it's because he's so mad at her still. And that breaks his heart. And he mm. wants to let her know. Takes time amidst all of this. That's how much he cares about her. And it's heartbreaking that she's not there to hear it. So he's wearing a blanket while he's doing no, it. He just looks like, so <laughs> weak, I think, yeah. for the first time. It's the most vulnerable we've ever seen him. But Except for, for sure. asleep and naked, passed out on Xanax. <laughs> so that's my number two. Andy? Uh, let's see here. My number two would have to be... Uh, Steve and Dustin bonding over Farrah Fawcett and Fabergé. <laughs> it was just, you know, a letting down the guard moment. It's kind of a passing the torch on, you know, like, all right, here's the secrets, dude. And, you know, maybe his uh, uh, advice is ill-advised, and uh, he is not one to talk as far as being the uh, ladies' man. However, as they have said throughout this season... He was previously the king of this school, and so he was getting it before he started losing it. <laughs> Steve so, was getting it. And his heart's um, in the right place, too, yeah. even though he might not be giving the best advice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I, I feel like it's been the elephant in the room this entire series, Steve's hair. And finally, like, somebody <laughs> just openly acknowledges it. Like, we don't all have your perfect hair, Steve. He's like, it's not about the hair. Give some advice. And he's like, all right. This is how you do it. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. <laughs> this is the secret behind the hair. Steve, you're number two. My number two is the same as yours. Hopper's, uh, Hopper's call to 11. Um, it's a super sweet, and but also heartbreaking because he's pouring his soul out. To an empty room. To an empty room. Which um, is a Radiohead song, I think. <laughs> is it? <laughs> it sounds <laughs> like it could be. Uh, but yeah, he's pouring his heart out to an empty room. But even when you think of it from his perspective, like from his perspective, Elle's probably there just mad at him yeah. still. And even that small touch of him, like make sure you eat peas, even though you hate oh, him. Yeah. Like he's still like in total uh, like parent mode for this girl. That's not like his actual child, but he's sees her as so. And where is Elle? We'll just do an L watch real quick. She had just pulled out of the inside out. And knows that Becky's probably sinister, correct? That's where we left her? I don't her. think she knows Becky's sinister, just that she knows... That was just your theory. Going, yeah. Okay. But we know what's going... She now knows what's going on with her mom, and yeah. presumably she's just chilling at Becky, Becky's checking out butts. Yeah. Chilling at Becky's <laughs> checking out butts. She's just, that'd be so funny if we cut to her. <laughs> Becky! Oh my God! Look at her butt! <laughs> also, I, I looked it up while you guys were talking. Uh, the actress that plays Max is Sadie Sink. Sadie Sink. Sadie Sink. Sadie Sunk. <laughs> that my my <laughs> expectations of that scene. God damn it, the backstory. Sadie Sunk. <laughs> Come up with a reason to have said that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Bring it down. 
Cut to, damn it, cut to. My number one is uh, Breakfast with Murray. Uh, I, I, that's crazy for that to be and number one. I said, what about <laughs> Breakfast with Murray's? <laughs> Honestly, chapter six, season two, is one of my favorite episodes of all time. Uh, I think this was a wonderful episode. There was so much, there were so many character moments where we got to see them grow and, and, and characters that we've never seen together before grow closer together. We saw so much vulnerability uh, with Noah, with Hop, uh, with Joyce, uh, with Bob's brought into the fold. We even see Mad Max crumble and become human for a moment. And that's what makes this show great. And then it, they mixed in all the perfect amounts of humor, the wonderful uh, horror elements that I know Stranger Things for. I don't think it gets enough credit for being at times, just an incredible exhibition of the genre of horror. All of that's in this episode. I actually loved it. But my favorite moment of all of that is Breakfast at Murray's. I think his character has no place in this show. And for some <laughs> reason, I love it. Uh, it's just strange to me. It shows what else the, the, the Duffers can do. There's something so, I don't know, like Big Lebowski-esque about his character. Not the yeah. dude, but just he belongs in that movie. You You're know? absolutely right. I love when he misses his mouth with the egg. He's, he's, he's all creepy about it. Like it was part of his joke or something. Oops. I think that that was probably ad-libbed. Like I, I can't see like rehearsing that and having that work. Sure. You know? How was the pullout? Uh, love it. Anyway, my number one is Breakfast with Murray. Andy. Uh, my number one would have to be It's a Trap. Um, finding out that uh, Will knew that it was uh, they, he was sending these sci- nameless scientists to their doom. Um, Specifically you know, the soldiers dying or Will finding out that? Well, the whole sequence. I mean, it's only like 45 seconds in which mm-hmm. all of that happens. Um, and Mike has his little like, oh my God, we have to warn them and runs up and they're like, no, it's too late. There's nothing you can do. And then we see the... <laughs> Excellent, excellent horror shots because we don't get enough of those um, of all of these soldiers going down. And then periodically we cut to like the body cameras going off. And I'm not sure if they would have had body cameras in the 80s, but I'm just, you know, going to put that anachronism <laughs> on the back burner and just go along with it because it was awesome. Like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. That was probably an ego as well. Yeah, the body shot. I mean, that's been used a lot at the very least. For sure, for sure. Well, I think the Um, way it's shot definitely is, but we'll get to that. And then to cap it all off with the uh, fucking final shot of like, oh, fuck, here they all come. And there's so many Demogorgons on the little radar thing. On the radar, yeah. There's like at least 20 of them. Yeah, it's insane. It's very too weird. We we forgot to talk about as well, just real quick, uh, when Will is like fully being taken over by the shadow monster and he is looking at the soldiers as Mike is trying to break through to warn them. And he like really focuses on that, uh, army issue Glock mm-hmm. pistol. And you can tell that he's being like, that was before the trap. That was, uh, when Joyce was trying to get into the doctor's meeting. Oh, that's true. I think that's, that's how the shadow monster is able to see through will where he is. Like he's with the enemy quote unquote. Uh-huh. Because he sees that Glock and he's like, the soldiers did that and the soldiers are here. So they're the ones that burned me. Yeah. So you took that as the monster's recognition of mm-hmm. who these people were. Yeah. Like I w- took Will's that as with like, those people that burned him. He's going to go even crazier at some point and like grab a pistol. But 
I mean, that, that could still happen. That'd be kind of crazy seeing Will wielding the Glock. We will see. It's like, break yourself, Hawkins lab. Anyway, uh, Steve, you're number one. My number one is, I think it was Andy's number three, which was uh, Steve and the kids versus the Demogorgons mm-hmm. in the in the foggy night. I really love the scene because it's just fun. It's fun. We get to see Steve be a badass. He's got the bat. Uh, the kids have their own little moments. Um, one moment that I think we haven't touched on that I'll add to is uh, that that adds to um, Steve's heroics in the scene. Mm is when he retreats because there's so many of them. He retreats to the bus. He's holding the metal plate against the door trying to keep them from busting in. And then that one hops on the top and it's about to come in through the whole, the roof of the bus and it's looking at Max. And Steve immediately is just there and he's like, back away. And he puts himself between them and this immediate threat. And he's like, I thought he was going to like take his bat and just kind of like I kept shove it up there. It. Yeah. But he's got it there kind of in this very almost self-sacrificing like if this thing <laughs> comes down here I'm fucked. Yeah. But at least maybe I'll buy these kids time. Yeah. And I think that's a really subtle but big character moment for Steve just to, I mean he's a badass we like Steve. They're really hammered at home knowing that Nancy's getting hammered home at this moment <laughs> that oh, we are not no. super happy about it. You know what I mean? Because yeah. he's just gets getting better and better. You know what? I changed mine. That's my number one, too. Can't Ooh. do that, Andy. Andy Stamp. <laughs> Andy Stamp. Andy's it's, like, it's over. Edit point. <laughs> uh, Steve, do we have a, a, another segment? Because we've still got like six minutes until we get to where our show normally ends. <laughs> yeah, we do have another segment. It's called Easter Eggos. <gasps> Easter Eggos is when we review the episode and we write down a list of cultural, film, art, comic books, product placement, any sort of reference that is in, within the episode that they are calling back to. That sounds wonderful. Mm. Um, well, I, I guess I'll start. Do uh, it. I'll, I'll do my usual music I heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hammer to Fall by Queen. Hey, we already mentioned that yeah. briefly before. We had a Blue Bayou by Roy Orbison. That was great. I love Roy. Um, oh, you're on a first name basis with Roy? <laughs> yeah, me and Roy were tight. Me and Orby. <laughs> me and him. Only the lonely, you know? Ooh. <laughs> uh, and then Pretty Billy, boring. while he was working out, pumping the, clanging and banging, pumping the iron, he was... Uh, <laughs> Listen to Round and Round by Rat. Clanging and banging. Uh, I want to just drop a few obvious ones out here. Uh, there was a Jaws poster. Still in. <laughs> still there. <laughs> still in Will's room. Uh, they mentioned Farrah Fawcett. And uh, the train tracks is, again, another reference to Stand By Me. Sort of, even though there's only two of them this time. Andy, some quick ones for you. Um, there is a poster in... Um um, Max's room uh, for the Endless Summer is a 1966 movie. Oh, um, and the rest of mine have already been said. That was it. Oh, okay. I, I have a lack of egos. I also wrote down that a dearth, a dearth. <laughs> yeah. I tried to use a different word. <laughs> the uh, the Polaroids. I'm going to go ahead and call an ego because that's just a wonderful little throwback tool that is super obsolete. You can't even really get Polaroid film anymore, and it was it's used expensive. twice. Um, I also think. That I mean, it's obvious that his Will's possession to this point is progressing to where it is a lot more like The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. I didn't see him masturbating with a crucifix yet. There's still time. <laughs> There's still plenty of time for that. Mother's uh, being ass fucked in hell. <laughs> <laughs> I still think that Joyce Byers in The Scrubs is another Terminator reference, but this time Judgment Day. Uh, where she is Linda Hamilton's. I hope we see Joyce at some point smoking a cigarette and doing pull-ups and sticking a <laughs> syringe into Paul Reiser's neck to bust out of there. I just really crave that. But that's all I got, and I made most of those up. Wait, no, Luke is on top of the bus with the face paintish stuff and the uh, 
camo headband was very warriors esque for me in the junkyard, especially okay, with yeah. Steve also there with his nail bat. Steve, take us home with some really good ones. I've I've got a lot actually. Um, the shot where Dustin and Steve go to the basement and they see the hole that uh, Dart has dug. Mm-hmm. There's that pull out shot where you see Dustin and Steve looking into into the hole and then it like pulls back the Shawshank shot the yeah the Shawshank shot from when uh, Andy Dufresne uh, busts out Um, the scene with Jonathan and Nancy where they're I guess sexually frustrated and they don't know if they should talk to each other I think the earliest I can remember seeing a scene like that was Temple of Doom with Indiana Jones. Is and, it really um, an Indiana Jones one like that? Yeah, it's in Temple of Dune. It's, in, it's Indiana Jones and what's Spielberg's ex-wife's name that's in that movie for some reason? I don't, I don't recall. Know. But you know who I'm talking about, right? Yes. The annoying blonde girl in mm-hmm. Temple of Doom that almost single-handedly ruins that movie? Yes. Um, <laughs> she, uh, there's that scene where they've, they've made it to... I forget what the palace is, but it's after the monkey brains where the they're like Doom in palace. separate rooms and she's like, I'll tell Indy what I think, man. There's like, and then he's, it cuts to him in the room like stupid girl and they kind of do the same thing. I don't think they actually get to going down to business, but it, there's that cut back and forth like, oh, I'm going to talk to them. And then I think she finally goes to his room to give him what for, but he's in the room getting attacked by ninjas or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> and um, his name is Indiana. Which is the state that this Whoa. takes place in. Wow. <laughs> what else you got for us, Steve? Uh, I saw a He's Watching You propaganda poster from Murray uh, in Murray's basement. Um, oh, yeah. And there's a uh, MC5 poster. That was a anti-establishment rock band in the 80s. I forgot to write that one down. Huh. In Murray's basement? Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Um, and then, obviously, I think the... Early on, and when we first started talking about the season, you made a prediction, Chris, about how like the season's gonna rip off of Terminator a lot. Yeah, I feel like this is the episode that cemented like they're ripping off Aliens a lot. Yes, um, from the blue screen with the body cameras uh, yes. to the whole scene of them like being in one area. The one guy literally says "Stay frosty, boys," which is what the sergeant would always say. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then you've got the ping, ping, ping. The motion tracker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think is, is that the same noise from aliens? Probably. That it's making. Uh, anyway, it's just, and then Paul Reiser obviously is there. Yeah. Um, it's just such a big, um, it's the callback new ET. to aliens. Yeah. It's a new ET. Yeah. Aliens is the new ET. And then my last one, I don't know if this is an Easter egg, but this is what the shot reminded me of that shot where it's the one soldier and the flashlights are like, like you know, being thrown down dramatically. The Raptors. is the Raptors from the Lost World Jurassic Park when yeah. they're in the long grass and you just see flashlights being sucked down to the ground. Very old Spielberg again, we'll say. Yeah. Even though I don't think he directed Lost World, did he? He did. He did. did he really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, why did it suck so bad? Lost World was good. <laughs> well, three sucked. Three's the worst. Yeah. Uh, the worst. I can't watch. Th- I actually like Jurassic World, by the way. I don't care. What I like Jurassic says. World. Thank you. Oh, Thank you, too. Steve. It's a stupid ass movie, it's but I love it. Fun. It's fun. It. It's fun. Yeah. Anyway, that, this isn't Jurassic World things. <laughs> I think that's all we have for Chapter 6. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's just, again, real fast. I'm very good at talking quickly, so I'll just run you guys through it real quick. Again, if you want to please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast, that would be wonderful. If you have any feedback, email that to streamingthingspod at gmail.com. We would absolutely love that. And tell us what show or movie you want us to do next after Stranger Things 2 is done. If you want us to stop, just don't send any emails, and we will, we'll just shut the podcast down. We'll just assume you don't like us. So, yeah. A little pressure there. No, oh, no. Thank you. <laughs> That's all we got. Look forward to Chapter 7 coming to you soon. My name is Chris. I'm Andy. And I'm C. And this has been Streaming Things. Dreaming Things. Dreaming Things.
Cue the outro. to the bus yet another time and um i'm gonna cough so i'm just fucking pissed off right now at whatever time that is you probably need to march <laughs> uh 47 hey, <he> coughed. <laughs> 47 50 sorry dr brennan here i'd just like to offer you a, a prescription to go for your cough there you just meet me at my lab and allow me to conduct some experiments on you. It'll be safe, supreme. I'll only melt your brain a little. Take some LSD. Do you like LSD? <laughs> it's my experience that people really get a kick out of it. <laughs>